I'm Lin-Manuel Miranda, and you're listening to Hard Knock Life. Happy New Year, Hard Knock Life. I'm Keith Chow. I'm Brittany Monet. I'm Dominic Ma. How you guys doing? Hard Knock Life is back for 2022. It doesn't even feel like a real year, 2022. It's 2022. <laughs> I don't know about you. be all right. Are you feeling 22? Uh, spiritually. <laughs> so we took a couple weeks off there at the end of 2021. Now it's a new year, a new show, a new us. A new Nerds of Color, a new Hard Knock Life. What are your New Year's resolutions if there are... Do you even believe in New Year's Who believes in New Year's? We don't... You can choose any 365-day period to fail at shit, right? Like, why does it need to be at the beginning of yeah, uh, every I year? Yeah, I think I set goals in general for the year. So, like, my goal last year was to do more podcasting, and I did that. Yeah, and you're like, shit, I did too many. <laughs> let's, let's scale I it did, back. I know. Now I'm, like, doing a lot going into this year. I technically technically doing three but like just two of them happen to be on the same feed right. so it might seem like one podcast it might only seem like two podcasts to some people but i am technically doing three this year um but my goal this year is to do like because uh, i did a lot of voice acting over the years even if it's just with friends and i've like you know i need to get back to being in front of the camera so that's my goal for this year nice. and i already did something like honestly on was it the second day in because I got my friend asked me to be in a short, so cool. I did that. So I've already done like. So you, you, you met your goal. You met your goal on, on yeah. day two of twenty twenty two. So yeah, so that just... was my to do more acting in front of the camera. But I feel like it's only one project, so I at least got to do two projects okay. in front of the camera well, this year. You know, keep it keep it two face and like have have everything end yeah, in two. Twos, right, you gotta have twos, two. Of it, yeah, two at least. How about you, Dominic? You have any goals for the this new year other than perhaps like leaving the house and the pandemic being over <laughs> right i mean i'm gonna do some exercise to get in a good mood because i know that works and one should do it and that's <laughs> the ultimate goal is to get in a good-ish mood about things and yourself keith yeah I, I like i said i don't really believe in resolutions i do like i think goal setting is good but the one thing i did do over the break was watch a shit ton of stuff and there's a bunch of stuff that we didn't get to talk about because we took a little holiday hiatus. So mm-hmm. I know some folks who are listening to this podcast are like, what do they think of Hawkeye? What do they think of Boba Buffett? And for what it's worth, I watched a bunch of movies over the break as well. We watched Ghostbusters Afterlife. We watched Matrix Resurrections. We did a Lin-Manuel double feature and watched Tick, Tick, Boom and Encanto back to back, which was amazing. pretty cool. Yeah, I love Tick, Tick. That was that, that might be my favorite movie of the year. Mm. Like, I think so, too. It's my favorite Andrew Garfield performance. He he should get an Oscar for that. Oh, I think he's going to. He's nominated, at least. Um, I don't know. I watched a couple of movies, too, in between. Um, I think I watched that, actually, before Spider-Verse came out, because I don't know if you guys remember, I posted on my Instagram story, I'm like, what Spider-Verse movie is this? And <laughs> some people didn't them. realize it was Andrew Garfield, so, like, I don't know what you're talking about, Brittany. So I was like... Okay. It's but the now one that people... almost includes Turn Off the Dark. Yes. What well, that I was hoping that you know <laughs> we would get Reeve Carney show up in uh in No Way Home as one of the Spider Men, but you know. Have you seen the tweet that they're like, Well everyone really liked Andrew Garfield and Tick Tick Boom, everyone really liked Andrew Garfield and Spider Man and wanted to come back. Why don't they just do a movie version of Spider Man Turn Off the Dark with Andrew Garfield? <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? Actually, yes. I would watch that. Well, you know, like Congrats to you two. The amazing films are getting their flowers now because of No Way Home. Mm. And everyone's talking about like it's so funny, right? It's I feel like the two of you are like the only people on the internet who have ever said anything positive about the amazing movies. Right? And now all of a sudden it's like the cool thing to do is to like love Andrew Garfield's amazing movies. And I just We're feel like a the whole small time... but dedicated sub sub <laughs> <Yes>. subgroup. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Because like that it used to be the the du jour yeah. to like just shit on those movies. I, you guys... I went into more people who have just never even heard of them. Like <laughs> a lot of people are like, Oh, I remember those Maguire movies and I know the Holland exists now. But there were two others and there was some dude and oh he's named this yeah, like some people just didn't know they exist. So now, I mean, there's this push for like an amazing three or for at least making the Venom and Morbius universe 
exist in the Garfield universe, which mm-hmm. is an interesting wrinkle. I don't know that you'd want to, now that the amazing movies are getting their shine, that you want to, like, sully it with a Jared Leto, but... <laughs> no, but, like, I I think that I would like to see Andrew Garfield and Tom Hardy work with each other. Like, that would be fun. And I also think his version of Spider-Man would best go along Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool. So I would like to see that. But technically now Deadpool will be in the MCU. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of like you're not going to have Tom Holland. I mean, they could make it work if they found a way to do it. But... Yeah, but I don't man, know. Just Garfield versus Deadpool for a whole movie. That would be pretty fun. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, yeah. So, I mean, Andrew Garfield is having a hell of a year, and I think it's he his, really his time to shine. I mean, Tick, Tick, Boom is great. I love that movie. I, I wish we could get Lynn on the podcast back, because now that I've seen the movie, there's just so much I want to talk to him about, because all the Easter eggs. In fact, I've been, I've been contemplating doing a YouTube video about one Tick, Tick, Boom Easter egg that... I might as well just do it now since mm-hmm. I'm too lazy to actually put the video together. But there's a shit ton of Easter eggs if you're like into musicals and into Broadway, especially mm-hmm. in the diner scene when they do Sunday. Yes. I mean, that's yeah. obvious one. But there's one Easter egg that no one's talked about since the movie's been out. And I, I keep wanting to put it out there. And again, I'm too lazy to actually put the work in. But did you know, Brittany, that Lynn performed Tick, Tick, Boom before Hamilton? Uh, no. I had heard that. That was very almost produced well they did it off broadway it was like it was they did it for new york city center yeah it was like a week only right like three performances or whatever and it was in 2014 lynn played john and his castmates were leslie odom jr as michael and Mm. karen olivo as susan so tick tick boom the the off-broadway version is a three-man play Mm -hmm. the original jonathan larson production was just a one-man rock monologue And the movie kind of like blends both the three man, you know, rewritten 2001 after Jonathan Larson died musical version with the Jonathan Larson rock monologue with a traditional biopic, right? Like, it's, that's what's so cool about Tick Tick Boom. It takes like three versions of the same story and blends it together. Anyway, the Easter egg is so Lynn played John, Leslie Odom played Michael, and Karen Olivo played Susan. They're the three people who sing with. You know, Andrew mm-hmm. Garfield, he, like he's got Joshua Henry and Vanessa Hudgens when he's performing. Anyway, this is a long way to get to the Easter egg, which is Joshua Henry was the original Aaron Burr in the Chicago performance of Hamilton. And Vanessa Hudgens <laughs> played Vanessa in In the Heights, which Karen Olivo originated in mm-hmm. the Kennedy Center. So like by having Vanessa Hudgens and Josh Henry be the two other singers with Andrew Garfield on stage, is he... Mm-hmm doing a little Easter egg for his own version of Tick, Tick, Boom with the original Aaron Burr, Leslie Odom, and the original Vanessa from In the Heights, Karen Olivo. Again, this is <laughs> my Lin-Manuel fan brain was like I in overdrive. I almost followed that thread of <laughs> Hamilton trivia. Not yeah. quite. Not quite. And so, like, it, it, it probably is. I'm sure you're right. Did you do that on purpose? Or was, am I the only one who's like picking up on that? Because I haven't seen anyone mention that. So anyway, that's... My rant wow. for the... You, that's my nerd you, pop you know, you know your regional production. <laughs> I, you know, after watching the movie, and I, and I know that Tick, Tick, Boom was a big part of Lynn's, like, origin story. Like, he saw Tick, Tick, Boom. He saw Rent as a teenager, and then he saw Tick, Tick, Boom as a, like, college student. And that's what kind of inspired him to write in the Heights, like, for, for Broadway. And that's why, you know, he was the perfect person to direct the movie, it's just that, like, when I when I saw the movie and Josh Henry plays, like, the, males, the male alternate singer and Vanessa Hutchins plays the female alternate singer when they're doing the stage portions of the show. I just remember that, like, Leslie Odom and Karen Olivo were the other two people. And it's like, that's a Vanessa and an Aaron Burr. And he cast a mm-hmm. Vanessa and Aaron Burr for the movie. And I, that's got to be intentional. He, he wouldn't do that unintentionally. Uh, the only, only other thing I would say is I, for the Tick, Tick, Boom Blu-ray release, when Criterion Collection puts it out, they need to put the pro shot version of Tick, Tick, Boom that they performed on the DVD because there's only clips of it on YouTube where you can see them uh-huh. performing. But I would like to see the the whole show <laughs> on Blu-ray. So, Lynn, if you're listening, let's get let's get the uh, New York City Center performance of Tick, Tick, Boom that you three did on the Blu-ray. Anyway, <laughs> more were we going to talk about that other show that has a musical in it, kind of? All the listeners who have tuned out, you can come back now because we can we can get into some of the Disney Plus stuff. Speaking of musicals, right? Because 
We'll start at the end of the finale of Hawkeye. So much of the internet lost their shit when the mid-credit sequence was Rogers the Musical. And I, for one, as the Broadway, you know, musical theater kid in an adult body, I loved it. I was, like, happy. And I was, I was I actually surprised so many it, people were, like, pissed off but about it. I loved it, but I thought there was going to be, like, another teaser <laughs> besides that. So I think because that was the only one, I was like, right. Like, I would have watched that anyways just because I love Adam Pascal, but it was just like a, you're not gonna hint towards anything else? Oh, okay. Like, that's how it felt. Like, it was just like a, and I like musicals, so I'm not against that being one of, I just thought there was gonna be another one. That was my only, like, disappointment with it. Uh, My little brother was very mad. He was like, oh! I mean, so much of the internet was mad that... They just gave us a stupid musical, which the funny thing is from the first episode, people were saying, oh, I hope they released the whole musical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they did. And people were mad. Like, it just proves you can't please everybody. I, or I anybody. think also it's like there's there were some people, too, who would say, like, I'm tired of them always teasing the next project. And then they didn't tease the next project. And now people are like, where's the next project? <laughs> exactly. You just you they can't. did it at the end of Spider-Man. They gave you a whole ass trailer. I know. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but no, it, I was a little like okay that's it (laughs) yeah but i still enjoyed like the scene like i'm not gonna like lie i I definitely enjoyed the whole scene i mean honestly the biggest surprise of the musical sequence at the end of hawkeye was i didn't realize that like the avengers themselves did not perform any of the song (laughs) like like when listening to it on itunes i thought oh that must be captain america singing the entire no it's like some random white dude just singing no it's adam pascal singing the whole time yeah it's like well but he's just playing some random like doctor or something (laughs) like who is he even supposed to be (laughs) Yeah, I don't know, but I guess they went well. Like, we got to get you know the big guns from Broadway. So, <laughs> like, um, well, whatever. Anyway, how did you feel of the ending of Hawkeye? Like, we finally got to see Wilson Fisk in action. When we last left the podcast, Kingpin was revealed, but mm-hmm. we didn't actually get to see him really yeah, perform. Which I didn't realize this was a reference to an actual uh, Spider-Man comic. The Hawaiian shirt yeah. <laughs> is actually a reference to a, a legit Spider-Man comic and people have been hoping that he's gonna be like the next villain for the next Spider-Man movie. So maybe that would that's be cool. gonna happen. But yeah, I the outfit, I died laughing. Um, I thought it was a hilarious outfit. But no, I, I liked it. I just want to know what's next. I hate that. I hate to be that person of like what's next when but i think that it is definitely it is my second favorite of the shows um i think loki loki loki's the strongest for me like all the way through i i just think every single episode i loved of loki hawkeye was it's it's right up there but yeah i feel like it needed a little i don't know what else it needed in the finale but it needed like maybe a little something else i don't know what but i know because i'm not in the loki list crew i will say hawkeye is my favorite of the marvel episodic series that came out this year i think it was really well directed and it really pulled off that whole christmas pseudo diehard vibe with uh just people with arrows and not being so freaking cosmic all over the place i thought it was really wonderfully contained and in that sense i like that it's it seemed to end on a full stop or at least the full stop of you know christmas wins in the end (laughs) this is fine i and i also love that and for anyone who's concerned, we're going to spoil everything else that we're watching over the holidays. So if you haven't finished Hawkeye, if you haven't watched Book of Boba Fett, Matrix Resurrections, Ghostbusters Afterlife, all the stuff that we may or may not talk about, just know that there will be spoilers and, and you know, that's your warning. But back to the end of Hawkeye, I think what, what I really appreciated about it, and to your point, Brittany, about where is it going to go, I mean, I think it definitely... Now I understand why there's going to be an Echo series. I think mm-hmm. before Hawkeye came out, I was like, why is Echo getting their own show? Like, we don't know anything about that character. And now the show ends with Echo shooting Kingpin. Yes, we don't see it on screen. It's a big deal. We don't see it on screen. But in the comics, I saw a panel where it's like a... a it's, it just messes up his eyes. He bl- he's blinded. Right, exactly. Yeah, it, uh. but it doesn't kill him. So for people who were disappointed and upset about that, because I was for a second yeah, until yeah. I saw the panel, I was like, oh, all right. And I also thought, I'm like, he's not really dead. There's no way they would, like, bring him back just for this. Just and Charlie, too. Yeah. And, and to, also like, do it off screen, right? Because yeah. like, that, that was the biggest clue that they're not going to kill off Kingpin off screen. So... 
Yeah, so, I mean, he's definitely coming back for anyone who got upset. And, I mean, because, again, they're not going to introduce both him and Charlie back into the MCU and then, like, kill one of them off, like, that fast. Like, they're not going to do that. So does Kingpin get an eye patch for a while to make him even it more threatening like, than he already is? Yeah, he was like bl- he, he was blinded in both eyes in the comics after I think and echoes the reason in the in the comics too that she shoots yeah. him in the face or something and doesn't Yeah, it's doesn't like an acid or, or like a, a chemical thing or something, yeah. Dominic, as the resident Daredevil Stan, what did you think of D'Onofrio's portrayal of Kingpin here versus the Kingpin of Daredevil seasons one through three? Well, it's interesting because, you know, I'm of the opinion that Kingpin's performance in the first Daredevil is, like, one of the best pure villain performances in all the Marvel stuff. I mean, the Netflix had some great villains, you know, let's include Purple Man in there, too. But, you know, D'Onofrio as Kingpin is just sublime. And it's it's funny, like, from the very instant he's introduced with the Hawaiian shirt and stuff, you can sort of tell there's a little Disneyfication. You can sort of sense the difference in texture between the Disney and Netflix vibes you know he's not gonna go <laughs> completely vicious i mean he was just viscerally right he's not gonna like threatening he's not gonna slam kate's head into a car door for 20 yeah minutes. and shit like <laughs> yeah but like but then there's one scene early on where he just turns it on he, he, he turns on that familiar voice that kind of like you know petulant child in a 600 pound muscled man's body which is the threatening part and you can tell you know he was so so he he, he found a way to recapture that magic. I really hope, you know, if, yeah, if Kingpin survives, he meets up in rehab with Bullseye again with his surgically reconstructed spine. Because, man, that Bullseye was another cover. excellent villain. Oh, okay, you got it there. Oh, yeah. you know, I've seen that cover. I haven't read that one. Yeah, yeah. so it's not just, like, a Disney, like, making him look stupid. <laughs> oh, right, no, no, Because no, no. <laughs> it's like Pirates of the Caribbean. No, 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 I didn't, I didn't mean that sense. I just meant, uh, I just meant in the whole, um, you know, what's allowable as far as, you know, mm-hmm. adult slash nasty content in Netflix as opposed to Disney. But but anything that harkens back to Daredevil series, you know, it was... I was happy to see Charlie Cox again and then, you know, Kingpin again in the same week. Mm-hmm. Good shit. But yeah, bring back that Bullseye guy because he was a great villain also. The dangling thread from that Daredevil season three. Like I just recently finished season three. Like I talked about, I didn't want it to end even though it ended. And I was like pushing off for so long. And when, you know, I saw Vin- Vincent show up on the, what was that episode two or three where he just like, you just hear his chuckle. I'm like, mm-hmm. God damn it. I got to go and finish it. So it's nice, and I know that it, it is the same uh, characters because I know he talked about it in an interview with... I don't know who he did the interview with. I don't know if it was with Comic Book Online or someone, but he did say that the writers and directors and everyone told him to treat it as the same exact kingpin he played on the Netflix show. So it is a continuation, I guess. I don't know if he got snapped or what, so we'll eventually find out what happened to Matt and all them in between. <laughs> and I know... That's why Jessica Henwick turned down being at Shang-Chi was because she apparently had knew that Matt was coming back as Daredevil and she didn't want to miss the opportunity to be Colleen again. So well, I, yeah. Yeah, I read something along the lines that like she knew that like accepting the role and it was it was going to be the role of Shaoling. She she was uh-huh. approached to play that if she accepted that, that she would have to like no longer be Iron Fist because she's the Iron Fist. Yeah. We know for a fact Colleen Wing is the Iron Fist. The well, only thing is, uh, from what I've heard, is Kevin Feige is picking and choosing from <laughs> the various shows of what is going to be canon and what isn't. So Daredevil may be canon, but Iron Fist may not be. <laughs> Just because, I mean, the only reason why is because I know Marvel is actively working to release themselves from Danny Rand because of that show as we all know with all the announcements of the iron fist comics so we might not unfortunately even see her come back as colleen just because of how much they don't even want to have finn jones of that That finn jones stink yeah like that's really it's just so it's frustrating because it kind of ruins it for like you know some of the other people on the show who are actually really good speaking of colleen wing speaking of jessica henwick we're gonna we're gonna dive out of the disney plus stuff before we come back to it a little bit later you know, I mentioned the other thing that I saw over the holiday was Matrix Resurrections, and we didn't get a chance mm-hmm. to talk about that on the on the show because it came out during the, the hiatus. And I know that, Brittany, you haven't watched it yet, and Dominic, you've watched most of it. But the... I saw most of it. I might never-ending story of it, <laughs> so, which I mean, I, I, when I was a kid, I had the never-ending story book, and I 
kept starting it and never finishing it too so to me it was a literal never-ending story <laughs> and, and it's not because you don't like it you just don't want the show to end just like britney yeah, didn't want daredevil to end yeah there's that also sense of how how it can end but let's talk about it well but I jessica mean, henwick really you know she was given a choice great. right and and both both projects she had to choose which one she wanted to audition for right so it was like you can either do this marvel movie or you can do the matrix you have but you have to pick and you can't like do one and then maybe do the other or do one and think about it and then do the it's like you have to decide now do you want to do mcu or mm-hmm. do you want to do matrix and she chose the matrix i think those things you talked <laughs> about like with the colleen wing of it all and everything but she ended up choosing the matrix and mm-hmm. she's in my mind other than keanu the best part of the matrix resurrection That's what oh, I've, yeah. I've heard from a lot of yeah, people yeah she's spectacular and what a what a good franchise for the half asians of the world really the matrix is i mean keanu reeves got like so many people hooked the matrix and jessica hendwick continuing that thread it's great yeah no i mean and and she's clearly the 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 like the audience's you know entry into this film she she's not just like a side character in the matrix resurrection she's like the main person whose mission it is to bring back trinity and neo right she's like she's almost the morpheus of matrix resurrections because she's the one who's like believes above all else that you know neo is the one so knowing that Brittany, you haven't seen it yet Dominic, you haven't finished it yet. we're gonna I'll, I'll try not to do any i've already heard some spoilers spoilers yeah so like i know that yaya is playing a morpheus code and not actually right re- it's not a recasting of... well you know and it's interesting yeah. too about he's like a fancy robot yeah yeah but what's yeah. cool about Yaya too if you think about it like he's kind of building a a, a career or a resume mm-hmm. of these types of films or these types of projects where he's like yeah. taking on an iconic role you know what i'm saying like Candyman, uh-huh. dr manhattan but then kind of like reinterpreting it for like that's such a wild kind of typecast to be in. Like, what is the yeah. what is an iconic, you know, genre character that you can re-embody in your own way? Yeah. And that's kind of a cool thing to to be. And he could have played it very Doctor Manhattan-y if he was being Morpheus, like just saying things in a very sort of distanced, like all-powerful sort of way. But I like that he chose to play Morpheus like a little jazzier and fun <laughs> and like uh, kind of like stoned on something or something you know just like a little like a little less you know gravitas Well, because he's not uh, doing a lawrence fishburne impression right like that's what's kind of cool about it and same thing with jonathan groff like it's it's interesting that again spoiler turns out jonathan groff is playing agent smith or versions of agent smith but again he's he's imbuing it with more personality with, with with a little bit more camp you know, and I and I kind of yeah. and I think that's what a lot of like Matrix fans don't like about this movie. Some of the reviews, some of the re- reaction to it is that it's it's really bad and um, it's not. You know, and I think part of that is intentional. I think Lana Wachowski is 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 making a commentary on Matrix fandom. It's particularly like how Matrix fandom has like split in in ways, and and the and the and the mythology and the movies have been kind of like misinterpreted uh, there's a whole there's a whole scene in the beginning where so the biggest premise the biggest like meta premise of matrix resurrections is that the events of the matrix films exist in that universe that's a video game instead of a movie which is kind of weird it was like that was a weird thing to wrap my head around like why is it, why can they just say it was a series of movies but but it, it's it's the the matrix trilogy exists as a video game franchise so it has the same kind of like legacy within the world that it does in the real world so there's a whole montage of people like talking about like and and so and so like you know keanu's character thomas anderson is forced to kind of like revisit the matrix franchise <laughs> like yeah. there's this whole meta commentary between which Groff kids and played Keanu. for a while and it was the biggest thing in the world and then they moved on and now they wanted to see and it. now but warner brothers up, is forcing yeah. us to do a sequel right, right. <laughs> and they managed to, and they get to comment on sequels themselves which in, is hilarious in many ways yeah because like i think matrix definitely fits into this like recent genre of what they call legacy sequels where like you take a property that's been dormant for like 20 to 30 years and revisit it, bringing back some of the original actors, but also imbuing like a new, younger, more diverse cast to kind of like take it into the future. But mm-hmm. you also kind of like have to redo the first movie again. Like Force Awakens was accused of this. Ghostbusters Afterlife is, is, is very much a legacy sequel that just kind of 
plays the hits of the first Ghostbusters movie. And then, you know, what I love about the Resurrections is that it's also in that vein where it's like, okay, we're going to bring back Carrie Ann, Jada Pinkett, and Keanu, but we're also going to bring in Jessica Henwick and Yaya Abdul-Mateen, these like newer stars, mm-hmm. younger stars to kind of like, if they were to be a Resurrection sequel, they can carry it forward, which I don't, I don't think this movie sets up a sequel. I think this movie is very much like self-contained. Mm. Lana Wachowski is like, I said what I had to say about the Matrix and then I can move on. But... What you've seen of it, Dominic, what what, did, what have you latched onto with when it comes to the Matrix? Yeah, well, they also they took stuff from the original in a good way in that it's still directed and composed with great directorial flair. This is not true of all the sequels. In this case, they keep like the color palettes and this sort of great urban decay feeling in these beautiful long shots and because a lot of times they're matching shots from the original in a you know flashback montage way so we're there the way they're doing that shot for shot remake which is fine because that was not broke so don't fix it <laughs> but it's also like a commentary on it too because like there are some subtle differences in the in the original matrix like this the urban landscape is is this nondescript anonymous city whereas in this movie, it's very much San Francisco. Oh yeah, you know, <laughs> and then the real yeah. like the make the world of the Matrix is different because, you know, in a way, it's a commentary on like where the internet is in 2020 versus where right. the internet was in 1999, right? So like, right. you know, the the main villain I won't reveal who the villain is, but the main villain says that like, you know, it's essentially but saying it's like funny. social media is what fuels the internet now, like outrage yeah. and emotion, not like, and so like the, the, right. the matrix is more like mirrors the real world than, than like the coldness of like the matrix of the nineties. Right. Where like yeah. internets were just databases. Now internets is like outrage and, <laughs> and shit posting. Right. And that's kind of like is reflected yeah. in the, in the new version of the matrix. And it's cool. So they get to examine how internet culture has completely overwhelmed to story their lives, even more than they were predicting time. And again, this goes to sort of like how, you know, I'm in the school of like uh, sequels two and three weren't as uh, good as that original matrix, because I mean, the, at that time, like, when Matrix 2 and 3 were coming out, the internet was, like, exploding. We didn't really know what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, in a way, Matrix had fallen behind, you know, the innovations that had already started with the first one. But now, with the benefit of time, it gets to look back, it's like, wow, yeah, that we were part of that, and that blew up in a way that we couldn't even imagine. And they get to examine it in a kind of tongue-in-cheek way. And also, like, uh, I like that there is a love story at the core of it. Yeah. And, you know, in the original trilogy, like, you know, it, it feels a little pat to me. It was like, yes... Keanu and Carrie Ann Moss, and they're both hot in leather. It's a little pat that there is this love story, but I like that they revisit it when they're both older. And especially when you were saying about San Francisco, that reminded me, like, you know, the version of Trinity that shows up in this uh, Resurrections. I mean, very much a San Francisco kind of trope. Like, they're like white lady who has kids, but maybe wasn't ever, like, really gung-ho into having kids, but it's kind of like a, you know, older mom, but is really into motorcycles. And they meet, and they're, uh, you know, they're, they're... they're, 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 like they're bored. Yeah, they're, it's electricity. And they're bored and they're struggling with their own lives in the way that older people are who have slightly grown out of, you know, internet youth culture. And right. for, there is something very affecting about that. I, yeah, I, I mean, I, and maybe because we're much older watching Resurrections, you know, we've, we've kind of aged with the characters. Because there was something affecting of, like, I'm glad, like, they made the decision that Thomas Anderson of this movie is a successful game developer, right? Like, and, and yet he still has this ennui. He still has this like sadness mm, to him. Yeah. Right. Like he still feels like he doesn't belong that this is not his life. Like he's basically cypher from the first movie. He's been replugged into the ah. matrix. <laughs> like he's forgotten about his old life. Right. That's what, that's what cypher. Yeah. What I just, I just want to yeah. eat this steak. There's even a scene of Keanu eating the steak in a very Joey Panalone way. And, and yet he still, there's no happiness there. Right. Like, that's what's yeah. really fascinating about this kind of like commentary on where we are. That and you know, and it's not lost. You know, it's it's old right. hat now right. to say that's that Matrix. Right. He, that much is like you've got everything. You got a great life, but this is there's the something one, else you know. that's missing. But what is this life, right? Right. That we. What is my great. beautiful house? Right. Yeah, that kind of thing. They reference the Jefferson Starship song, but not. But the Talking Heads song is also relevant it's to it. Very much so. I want to say one other thing about the Matrix Resurrections because it's. I haven't talked to you in a while, Keith. It is the first in-universe Warner Brothers reference that I've 
really enjoyed. <laughs> and no offense, Space Jam and Ready Player One and all that, but the fact that Jessica Henwick's character is named Bugs, yeah, like <laughs> slash the bunny. White Rabbit or whatever, basically being a Bugs Bunny type role. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, she literally has a line that says, "What's up, Doc?" Yeah, and she does that, and that's <laughs> and that's great in a very and, like straight, sincere way too. Though that's yeah, there's no. And cheekiness. it made me remember, like we talk all the time about the Marvel DC dichotomy, but at one time there was really you know, a Disney versus Warner Brothers cartoons dichotomy. Yeah, and it was kind of like. Disney was like, you know, floofy kid stuff, and the Warner Brothers cartoons were kind of funny. And edgy. But people's heads exploded. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and edgy. So Warner Brothers, it's ironic, very ironic, and that Disney ends up controlling Marvel because Marvel DC reverse. Marvel was like, you know, grounded, transposed reality, and DC was. And, and, you know, and more edgy, right? Because like, yeah. Marvel was like the mutants and ground level crime and all that kind of stuff and, and dc was more yes, detached it was like you know, idealistic fancy yeah. kind of stuff and so that got switched but warner brothers controlling that um wisecracking bugs bunny voice which is one of their strongest voices in their whole universe yeah. i think ah, that was sly so yeah, i'm glad you brought up space jam because that was another, that's that's also in the genre of legacy sequels that are just beat for beat remakes from the originals uh, and and successful in various ways. Well, let's take a break and come back on the other side and jump back in. We're just going back and forth, Warner Brothers, Disney, and jump back in the Disney pool because we got some Star Wars to talk about. We haven't had Star Wars to talk about in a long time on this podcast. So let's take a break and come back with The Book of Boba Fett. Cheers to the new year and to making resolutions you actually keep. Have you added self-care to your routine? Our sponsors at Manscaped have the perfect tools to keep you and your significant other clean and tidy this year. Manscaped tools for Hez Jewels are so good, you'll want them for yourself. Set your first New Year's resolution with good intentions and join the 4 million people worldwide who trust Manscaped. With our exclusive offer, go to manscaped.com and use the code HARDNOCK, HARD and OC for 20% off plus free shipping. How many uh, Manscaped products did you give out for the holidays? Oh, several. You know, Manscaped is focused on below-the-waist grooming, which, like, you know, not just not just below men's waist or specifically you can also work on your bikini line here and if anyone's worried about like if you like balls is a funny subject to talk about of your gift gathering uh gift opening gathering um it's it's a delightful conversation starter because it's just a funny word and balls are real but also (laughs) it's also for all all below the waists exactly what's cool about manscape is they have so many other things other than just ball shavers right like you can get nose hair trimmers which is called the weed whacker you have body wash i've been using the body wash and the shampoo conditioner for a while now and it's it's great it smells absolutely amazing the ultra premium body wash is made up of aloe vera and sea salt and it just it's it like not only smells great it feels great when you when you shower with it again if you if you have some issues buying ball shavers manscaped has a whole suite of products that is good for all genders and all body types so if you want to get some for yourself, whether your resolution is to work out more or travel to new places, be sure to travel to manscaped.com for the exclusive offer of 20% off and free shipping with the code HARDNOCK. That's H-A-R-D-N-O-C. Again, you'll get 20% off your order and free shipping. Cheers to self-care in 2022. We're back. You know who else is back? Boba fucking Fett is back. Yes, hmm. Robert A. Fettuccini. <laughs> you haven't seen those tweets going Great. around? He is... <laughs> That's I'm surprised, his favorite food, right? I'm surprised no one has, has proposed a, an encyclopedia of boba tea called The Book of Boba Tea. Oh, that's a good one. Why is, why is that not... Another of those funny coincidences <laughs> with... Uh, East Asian words and Star Wars naming. Hmm, it's like they're everywhere. Well, but the cool thing about this particular property is that you, for the first time, have two AAPI leads on the show, Ming-Na Wen and Tamira Morrison. In fact, shout out to Lauren Lola, who just got an interview with both Tamira and Ming-Na and talked about yeah, how cool. how cool it was to have a Star Wars property starring on, of color blog on our blog, channel. on our YouTube channel. Please check that out. So yeah, what are, what are your impressions of the first two episodes of The Book of Boba Fett? Fucking fire. Yeah? Excuse my language, but... 
No, it's, it, that's why we have the like big the E first, on our the podcast. The first episode Fucking was flame like... flamethrower on the wrist. <laughs> the first episode was really good. I was sad that it was so short, but it was so good. And then episode two, man, John Favreau is in his writing bag because that is just one of the best episodes of Star Wars yeah. anything because it was just so, it was so good. And I wonder how much of it was like, you know, tomorrow being like, well, we need to like, you know, do this for the indigenous people and like, because it very much felt like a, an indigenous rights episode. Absolutely. And, and the humanizing of the Tusken Raiders through in the first two episodes, especially as we see in episode two, is just done so well. And um, I just, I really liked it. And I just, like, you know, if John Favre really listened to tomorrow, like, it was, he really did listen and did his thing as, like, you know, to help, it helped him in his own writing because it was just beautiful. Like, what they were able to do with this episode, too. I just think it was so good. Like, I don't know. I love it. I just thought everything about it was just a plus to me mm. i have to admit after the first episode i was a little kind of hmm, i don't know if i'm feeling boba fett because mm. it, it was it just felt like an incomplete episode like i didn't know what it was trying to say other than like I, other than setting up the structure of you know post mandalorian stuff in moss espa trying to become a crime lord with flashbacks to like how he escaped the sarlacc like i didn't realize yeah. how much that i mean i kind of had an idea it would be a lot of Tuscan stuff because just the way he looks when he shows up in the Mandalorian where he's got the gaffy stick. But mm-hmm. you don't necessarily know that right. he's a Tuscan Raider when he shows up in the Mandalorian, right? So this kind of flushes mm-hmm. that out. But that first episode, I was just kind of, I was a little like, it felt slow. It felt a little, I was a little bored, I have to admit. Second episode, holy fuck. Like, second yeah. half of the second episode. Like, honestly, no shade to Ming-Na and Fennec Shan. She's a great character. I don't need the current modern stuff. Just give me the how how did Boba survive in Tatooine for the last you know last however many years because like that to me is more interesting than the crime lord stuff like to me I'm still not that you know interested in the whole you know war with the the huts or the mayor although like black chrysanthemum shows up and that's pretty cool if you read the comics the 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 black wookie uh Wait, who is black chrysanthemum it's chrysanthemum is i just making a joke calling saint chrysanthemum he's that black-haired wookie who shows up oh, okay. and you're like yeah some people are like who the chewbacca. fuck is that and other people are like holy shit because they read comics yeah and my mom said evil chewbacca yeah the evil <laughs> chewbacca so but i'm uh, a little less i'm less interested in that and more interested in in the tuscan stuff because that train sequence was some of the best yeah. Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, I don't even really know what's going on in Book of Boba Fett because I'm watching it more kind of like things. I don't quite have like yeah. my mind around the plot of it. Um, but yeah, it was really good episode for those of us who always had a sand people fetish. I mean, fetish is a strong word. Very strong interest in the sand people of Star Wars and wondering where they come from and what's their culture like. I mean, I know their whole culture is written up in a book somewhere in one of the novelizations. I haven't read it. But, you know, to see it. <laughs> Uh, As is everything in that. Star Wars, right? Like, there's something somewhere. Right. But to just get it in this show, and, like, you know, they're looking fly, and they're different kinds of robes, <laughs> and, like, you know, I was also, I was sort of wondering, like, do, do they reproduce, or are they ambisexual, or whatever? Not all those questions were answered, but it was beautiful <laughs> to be embedded in 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 the Sand People's journey there. And, and I agree with you, it, it was a big ramp-up from the first episode, which uh, had... Eh, had some question areas yeah i mean i'm i'm with you like like after episode, i'm glad we didn't do a weekly podcast because i feel like had we done a podcast when episode one come out i might not have been as glowing in my appreciation of the show honestly i have to say i full disclosure i fell asleep three times i had to keep waking up and rewinding it and then kept falling asleep so I, like that could be part of why i was not so thrilled with the first episode but that second there's that awkward fight where basically the night vipers from G.I. Joe show up and surround them or the cyber vipers or whatever. I don't know. This is another thought I had that reminded me of Yuki. It's like, I think the, it occurred to me that the aesthetic of Boba Fett is the closest to G.I. Joe in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> I mean, he's got like the little, all the weird weapons and the yeah, rocket yeah. launcher and the mask that you don't really well, know. That's, but that, that, the action right. sequence was a little boring, right? Like what it, it descended to like parkour for 20 minutes of like Ming-Na chasing those assassins around. And I don't know. I was just not feeling it. But second episode, yes, very much the, the whole Tusken Raider kind of accepting him into their tribe. The whole vision quest was really cool. I do think that like, 
structurally the show's still weird. Like, because it's like, it was two shows. It was like, it, the flashback, it doesn't cut in back and forth like Arrow or something. It's just like, here's part of the show. This is what's happening in the in the mm-hmm. present tense. And then cut. And here's everything that happened, you know, five years ago. So it's yeah, like. that's what Lost did. Uh, Lost is like But they my went back and show. forth still. They still would go back and forth. Like, this, it, this was very much like the first 25 minutes was all the daimyo stuff. And then the second 25 minutes was all the Tuscan stuff. And it's like, I mean, which is cool. Like, I would have, I could have, if you just give me the Tuscan stuff and that's all I need. I don't really even need the taking over the crime families. Aren't they going for the Godfather model? Do you think that's what they're Maybe. trying to do? Because that's, again, how Godfather is structured. It's the crime lords taking over and the present and there are a bunch of flashbacks back to early childhood. The Godfather 2, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, I mean, both of them. Yeah, much more in the Godfather 2. Right. Because, like, like uh, Robert De Niro. Yes, much much more strongly in Godfather 2. Like it's like a separate, separate movie from, yeah. Al, from Al Pacino. Yeah, the how, the how We Got Here. Yeah. Which is possible. That's which what I was thinking about. The present stuff in The Godfather is very fascinating to me it's i'm still have i still haven't been hooked by the present story in boba mm. fett like sure the mayor and his you know spokesperson the twilight spokesperson like i don't know i just i don't care about yeah. them you know i don't the huts were it was cool to see huts on like a giant platform being carried around that was fun <laughs> but now they keep calling it a litter they make a big deal of how the huts are carried around on a litter is that like uh, I don't know, is that Earth English name for it? It just made me think of kitty litter, which is kind <laughs> of no, a I think that's gross what, but appropriate image. I think that's right? what it is called in general, like your litter. Yeah, your so they can just poop in it, right? Butts <laughs> are being traveled around. Oh, well, okay. I d- definitely yeah. think it's. It, I think Fennec Shan says something to the effect of like, "It's proof of your power that you can, f- you know, like, force these people to carry you around, and and particularly if you're huts, these giant." Yeah sand slugs then people have to carry around you know shouts to favreau and, and filoni and robert rodriguez who is one of the creative minds behind this iteration of live action star wars but you know it almost feels like lucasfilm is kind of abandoning movies and let's just do disney plus series because Maybe. we're killing it here but then i don't know like some of the fan base that they were trying to cater to with the rise of skywalker fucking doesn't like book of boba fett yeah well, the sequel so. stuff, like, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, you definitely have a fan base that's dedicated to, like, the Finn and Ray and Kylo story. But I almost feel like they're kind of ignoring them from now on and just focusing on this, like, period, you know, Mandalorian, Boba yeah, Fett. Yeah, but even, like, the people, who, oh, that's what I'm saying, that like, now the people that they've been trying to cater to, they don't even like Book of Boba Fett. I've mm-hmm. seen them complain about it when I'm, like, I've pretty much have liked almost every, every era of Star Wars Except for Solo, I hate that movie. You can die in a fiery pit. But Solo like, kind of stinks. I like every version of Star Wars. So for me, I've I don't know. I'm enjoying this. I'm yeah excited for Kenobi, even though that's not out yet. It's just they had the Hayden do that PSA thingy recently. I don't know if you've seen it, and it ends with him saying, you know, may the Force be with you. And I just like cried, and I was like, <laughs> Hayden, I love you. Well, they're yeah, definitely no. sticking to the original trilogy timeline because that you know Kenobi's mm-hmm. coming up next. There's the Cassian Andor show that's coming up yeah. after that. So like, there's, the, I think they've found so the sweet cool. spot as far as the era of Star Wars that's that's most appealing to like the broadest the range. Best. And what I hope they do continue to do <laughs> is what you know. This is why I was a little disappointed, honestly, by Luke showing up in Mandalorian. Is that what was cool about Mandalorian is that it was carving out its own space in the universe mm-hmm. and by like bringing a skywalker it just felt a little like oh yeah like why and does it the fact why that they does it have to like tie stan was just stupid on their <laughs> well, part it didn't help that he was like cg luke skywalker yeah i they could have just used sebastian stan and then i'm sure they could have had mark hamill do a voiceover and it would have worked just fine do people say that because Winter Soldier got his hand cut off, and so did Luke. Or, no, have you seen Sebastian, Sebastian Stan too. with like I'm sure the Photoshop? It's great. I was just it looks making just a like joke. Him. Yeah. Well, tell you what, he looks more like Luke Skywalker yeah. than he does Tommy Lee. That's a weird no, it, casting. It, oh, no, but can we? But uh, speaking segment, of that project, I know this is so off, but because you mentioned that project, oh my god, what's her name looks so much like Pamela? Yeah, Anderson. Lily James, freaking like, crazy, amazing. Because she doesn't I cannot believe that that's Cinderella. No, as, as <laughs> Pamela Anderson, but yeah. like, it's clearly like they did a much better job turning her into well, Pam Anderson than Sebastian Stan into Tommy Lee. Because yeah. like, 
But you I'm, I'm going to watch that because it's going to be was, fun. Was the comic version of Pamela Anderson not called Stripperella at some point? And very she, she did do Stripperella with... Sort of Marvel. I think so. She did that with Stan Lee. They created no, that character that, together. Not, she wasn't a Marvel like character. A that idea. was when Stan Lee yeah. was doing his own stuff. Yeah, okay. And then that's making weird segues. Yeah. But, no, but I'm okay. glad you guys brought that up about the audience for Book of Boba Fett because I was wondering out loud if the Mandalorian and Boba Fett wing are are mainly throwback pleasures. Throwback pleasures sort of to catering to people who don't who, who didn't get that much out of the sequel trilogy, Rise of Skywalker and all that. Yeah. They're kind well, of leaning into those things again. I hated Rise of Skywalker. No, I didn't hate yeah, it, yeah. but I, I can rewatch that more than I will ever rewatch Solo. <laughs> That's how much I don't like Solo. Like, I refuse to watch that movie again. But I don't know. I think my favorite era now of Star Wars is honestly the High Republic books. I'm still reading the second one, The Rising Storm, but I just really love this era because it's before the Skywalkers are even a thing. And But Yoda is there, so, you know, there is some ties. I mean, that's cool, right? Like, you can have some ties. I do, But again, like, Mandalorian, what was so exciting about it, it was like... It was it was that sweet spot of like just enough nostalgia to kind uh-huh. of satiate people, but telling a new story in a new part of the universe that's not connected to. That was what was exciting about Ray and Finn and everybody, right? Like yeah. they were they were these new characters that could take Star Wars in a new direction, and then they just kept circling back to like shit people knew. This yeah. ties into what I was saying about Ghostbusters and even Matrix, right? Like that place now where where most genre stuff is legacy stuff trying to like revisit things we already who have already seen even the batman like there are a bunch of trailers have come out since our last podcast this is the i mean i'm i'm excited i i'm i still can't wait to watch it but like i do get some sense that like is this movie treading water or is it is it taking the batman story into any new direction you I know think what I mean? it's going to be a standalone thing because I don't think he's going to be in the Flash movie, but no, Keaton no, no. is. So, like, Keaton is going to now be the, I'll have always been the respective Batman. For... <laughs> yeah, because they cast, he, he's in the Batgirl movie, which is wild. Yeah, right? so, like, they're basically going to rewrite out Ben Affleck. I'm so mad that they're also going to be rewriting out uh, Henry Cavill as Superman because. Yeah, well, that, he, they, I feel they, like they're he, kind of like, like a two for one. Yeah, I, feel like I know. He, like, Andrew he never Garfield. Got... Was the same thing, like both perfectly cast in their roles, had so much potential, but unfortunately got put in stuff that like didn't meet the vision or people couldn't see it. But I feel like Andrew got the better movies opposed to well, you know. Henry, but speaking of that Flash but, film, like you know, and there's been some you know talk around like what's what that movie's actually going to do. Like Ben Affleck mm-hmm. has said, like you know his favorite batman scenes he's shot is in the flash but there's also the contingency of fans who are like pissed off that the snyderverse is going away with this movie all that said like i do think that you know in a pre no way home world the Uh flashpoint movie was like we talked about this on the last podcast like (laughs) was going to like break new ground but now it's going to feel like a retread harsh of no way home in the sense you know but you know it's all good. It's it, fine. It is. Can I say one more thing about Book of Boba Fett? Yes, please. Well, it's on my mind. You know, speaking to how you recapture the joys of the old thing without, you know, compromising potential for a new thing. I really think this secret element is Tatooine. I mean, Tatooine, I would argue, is the best planet and culture in the Star Wars universe. So to keep coming back to it keeps giving you new opportunities. And the reason I say that is, like, you know, the original Star Wars movie... What was so wonderful about Tatooine, but besides the way the sand and the landscapes and the sun looks, is like we get to that cantina and it's like everything all at once. It's like all the alien cultures are there. Not just like one alien goes with this environment. It's like a place where people are meeting and like freaking, oh, you want like three new alien races? Here's 12. And they all have a story that we're going to wonder about for years. So there's something rich about returning to the place from which the most stories can arise, like like Los Angeles. <laughs> Just to jump off that point a little bit more, too, what's also cool about the way they're approaching Tatooine, you know, even the Star Wars original trilogy sequels suffer from this. Like, Tatooine feels like a planet where there's multiple cultures, to your point. Whereas, like, every planet since has just been like, this is the forest planet where yeah, everything's a forest and it's all Ewoks. It's Here's the ice area. planet where it's all, yeah, exactly. And what's cool about Tatooine, to your point, is that, like, and what they're doing so well in Boba Fett is showing, like, the different factions of people. Like, even the Tuscans, the Tuscans who take in Boba are different Tuscans from Tuscans we've seen before. Like, they dress differently. He even talks about, like, 
you know, we're that that's not our tribe. We're a different tribe of Tuscans versus like some of the ones we may have seen in, in previous iterations of Star Wars, like the ones who kidnapped Shimmy Skywalker, which is to your point, Brittany, like also an evolution of like the Tuscans in, in the 70s and in the original trilogy and even the prequels was very much the other kind of like the way natives were always depicted, these savages who don't have any personality, don't have any in- interiority. And what's cool, they'd start in The Mandalorian. There was a scene where, like, Din Djarin is, like, speaking sign language to the Tuskins. And they're, and, they're, and they're exploring further in Boba is that not only do they have interiority, they have their own cultures, they have their own language, they have their own... Oh, and you know, finding out that Tatooine used to be... had water. Yeah. Yeah, right. Deep. So yeah. now it's like, you know, and, and like some people are... Is he now some people are wondering if his storyline is to actually bring water back to Tatooine. If that's like his, that's gonna. And be it makes sense, right? Because what is the what is the number one, you know, industry on Tatooine? Moisture farming. Yeah. Right. They're trying to like suck the, what moisture that's remaining, and so like I I think ult- like the way I hope Boba Fett blends their present day storyline with the Tuscan storyline is that the reason Boba wants to take over the crime families is to give Tatooine back to the Tuscans. Yeah. <laughs> huh. to give... Much like the plot of Dune. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, and then when he said Dune C, I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, well, Lucas was, he's, he's been clear that like he was inspired by Frank Herbert. Like, I mean, I think oh, that's, yeah, no. That's what I was wondering. Star Wars is dumbed down Dune. Let's just be yeah. real clear. It's Dune without the royal family politics. Yeah. yeah. Mm. To, its, to its credit. There, there is family politics. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Not the multiple royal houses fighting each <laughs> yeah. other. There's just this one god family. But yeah. Yeah, no. I, but I would just say if you do like Star Wars and actually do want a different era besides, you know, what we've seen in live action, just check out the High Republic books. Yeah, definitely. It's 200 years before The Phantom Menace, and you're kind of introduced to, like, Jedis that are different. Like, the this one that I really like, his name is Ezler Mann. He very much makes it clear that he, you know, has uh, sexual desires and, like, isn't afraid <laughs> to, like, explore. Not that that's the only, like, winning factor of, like, reading the book, but, like... <laughs> We've wondered about that for Jedi all the time. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, they talk about it like it's no... I don't know. It's just also... It's supposed to be when the Jedi were, like what we're told they are like these prestige knights who help you know and save when they're supposed to and they're not just like political pawns or you know whatever that they end up turning into in the course of like the skywalker saga so like it's very nice to see them be these great people trying to go against these group of pirates called the nile who literally annihilate everything in their path so it's really cool to see the jedi going up against that and it's, there's like lots of different side stories and it's really fun and the, they have like a diverse group of writers like Daniel uh, Jose Older. Jose Older yeah he's one of the writers um, I haven't read his book yet but I have the it's like Crash at something Tower Crash Point Tower Justina Ireland so like there's some pretty cool people and I know they have some you can pre-order their two new books too which I just did today, even though I have 20 million books to read. Well, other than The High Republic, what else is nerd popping for you? I know there's a show debuting this week that uh, you have some ties to. Yeah, um, I'm excited for Naomi to drop. Um, I'll be at work when it actually premieres. A little birdie told me you've seen the, the, pilot, the pilot already. Yes, I have seen the pilot. Thank you, CW. It's it's really good. I hope you guys like it. I won't spoil anything for anyone who hasn't seen it or read the comic, but yeah, and I actually just started Dexter because my little brother has been like, watch Dexter, so I finally started. It's great. And there's actually a very funny episode I just watched where he's like, I don't like sand. And I was like, all right, Anakin. <laughs> <laughs> and just before we before we drop the thread, you got to talk to Casey Walfall, who plays Naomi. Yes, I did. And that, that was... interview is yes. on the Nerds of Color. It was me and a round table of other people. So like Black Girl Nerds were there. DC TV Podcasts were there. Who else was there? I think Comic Book Resources. Yeah, there was a, several other people that were there asking questions. So it wasn't just me, but it was fun. Yeah, we'll put the link to that interview in the description and uh, check that out. And Naomi Podcast in the Lituation Room as well. Dominic, what's a nerd popping? in 2022 for you oh for a christmas gift my sister wonderfully gave me a lego set of boba fett's starship since we were talking about boba fett nice. and it is called there was a little hubbub about the naming thing okay and it was it it is called boba fett's starship now on classic classically it's called slave one but you know <laughs> 
But I get it now. The Lego set made me get it. Like, you don't want to have kids playing like, some spaceship <laughs> kid, some called kid Slave yeah, One. Exactly. That made me understand the whole thing. But it's one of, uh, uh, anyway, so there was that. And, you know, it's one of those things. I'm not sure if I'm going to build a thing because it's so beautiful in the box. It has a certain precious object. Maybe you can <laughs> consult on the management of toys there. But anyway, Keith, was, uh, what's nerd popping with you? So... I mentioned the Batman. A bunch of trailers came out for the Batman. I am excited for the Batman. Let me not say that the, the, the most recent teaser or the most recent trailer kind of like tamped down my excitement. I'm very excited for the Batman. Put Batman on anything. I'm going to watch it. But 2022 as a year for me is exciting to be a Batman fan. Because in addition to the Batman, which is coming out in a mere two months, which is wild. We are getting, as we mentioned, the Flash, which brings back... Michael Keaton's Batman and Ben Affleck's Batman. We are also getting... Those are both happening this year. That's this year as well. That's in November. We are also getting a new Batman animated series, which they just announced Ed Brubaker is joining the creative team, which is dope. I was at work and saw Mm. it and kind of screamed at the announcement. Luckily, I was on my break. Especially Ed Brubaker, you know, I mean, he was famously outspoken about, like, not getting credit for the Winter Soldier. Mm -hmm. And so, like, you know, Bruce Timm was like, why don't you come and be part of our creative team so that's super exciting so that's coming out this year it's the 30th anniversary of batman returns the greatest christmas movie of all time Mm -hmm. (laughs) so 2022 is and 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 we 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 also touched on they're filming batgirl currently michael keaton is reprising Mm -hmm. the role of batman and i don't know how that's going to work out because jk simmons is still commissioner gordon from the dceu he's barbara's dad but it's the michael keaton batman I'm sure the Flash will clear it all up or not, but it's an exciting time to be a Batman fan. And so, I, you know, it sounded like I was shitting on the Batman earlier, but I am not. I'm very excited for this year. I yes, really Batman is capitalist propaganda. Yes, all those critiques of Batman are true, and I did not realize all those Batman things were converging at once. But I also <laughs> want to mention something which I uh, said before on uh, this podcast, which is I'm excited for the next movie because Catwoman is always good. Mm-hmm. Very strong critiques of Batman. You know, in the macro sense. Catwoman (laughs) in the movies and TV series is always good. If the worst one is Halle Berry in a sort of weird version of Catwoman, that's pretty good. (laughs) The worst version is still pretty cool. And I think we'll end up being before it's time. And Zoe Kravitz could end up being the best Catwoman. Zoe Kravitz looks great. Yeah, Anne Hathaway was pretty good. And all the old TV series Catwomans were always awesome. It's just a great film character. And there's an animated Catwoman coming out on Blu-ray this year, too. So it's a hell hell of a year to be a Bat fan, despite the capitalist propaganda that is Batman. (laughs) Well, with Catwoman as the sort of other... The foil. The foil of that argument, actually, Batman becomes richer. Isn't that true? Because she's like the Count's argument to everything about the rich guy showing off his toys. Right, because speaking of, it's not only the 30th anniversary of Batman Returns, it's the 10th anniversary of Dark Knight Rises, which, in the context of the last 10 years, hits a lot differently now, right? Because you're like, why are we rooting for the cops? Why are we not rooting for Bane? (laughs) Yeah, we'll see what... Occupy Wall Street versus the cops, and we were supposed to side with the cops? What the fuck? So I guess what I'm really saying is I'm really curious what Catwoman has to say in this new version. This is... In this new iteration of Batman. Batman's going to say the same thing because he always does. My parents, justice, (laughs) vengeance, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. Catwoman's message gets to like change through the years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Uh, super excited for that. Anyway, that's Hard Knock Life for this week. Brittany Monet, how can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter and whatnot at HiBrittanyMonet. And you can check out at Naomi Podcast for both Naomi Podcast and Lituation Room. They are two separate podcasts on the same feed. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only way I can describe wow. it. So What a good value. Exactly. Yeah. Dom, how can people find you on the net? I'm Dominic Ma or Dom Ma, D-O-M-M-A-H, on Instagram or Twitter. You're also part of Jamal's Twitch stream, the occasional gaming roundup. Yes, well. we also do the video gaming through Nerds of Color on Twitch with Jamal and a bunch of other gamer folk. Dude, that's another Batman thing that's coming out next year is uh, Gotham Knights, the new probably, whatever, this is a video game argument, but I think it, I'm very much looking forward to yeah. Gotham Knights. Dominic was so upset that we don't talk about games on this podcast. He was like, let's start a new show where I can finally talk about games. Well, <laughs> and I don't, and I'm not even like the hardest gamer. I just want to talk about them occasionally. Uh, <laughs> 
Jamal and Barry Adonis, really, they, they school me every time we talk, and, that's, yeah. and it's great. It's a cool show. You can find me on Twitter at the real child, the underscore real underscore show, and on Instagram at realkeithchow. Follow the Nerds of Color at the Nerds of Color on all platforms, including YouTube.com, where we repost the Twitch streams of that gaming roundup that you can see Dominic and his friends, including Jamal, Bray, and Adonis. We are also at the Nerds of Color.org, hardknockmedia.com, where you find all of the podcasts. Support us on patreon.com slash the nerds of color. And until next time. Do you think that alien crawling up Boba's nose uh, was a COVID testing reference? That just seemed very of the time. Awkward. They need up your nose, but you need it to find your way in the desert. Possibly. I like that. I like that interpretation. Go get tested, everybody. Stay safe.